0: Hi, folks, this is Joel Harden, and you're listening to Troublemaker Radio. You may be wondering what this podcast is about. You've heard the promo trailer. Maybe you've heard a little bit about me or... You're someone yourself who fights hard for justice in your community. To make a long story short, I wanted to create this podcast as a living memory of the work we do in the Member of Provincial Parliament office. I am so proud to serve in Ottawa Centre. In 2018, I was part of a terrific campaign locally here to suggest that it was time for us in Ottawa Centre to demand a lot more from our politics. What that campaign did is bring together hundreds, thousands of volunteer organizers in our city and other folks who, in various capacities, have been lifting people up, offering community solidarity, and not waiting for governments to resolve problems. They were taking politics into their own hands, whether they were running community kitchens, helping international students, working with kids with disabilities, running programs for seniors, raising the alarm about the imminent threat of climate change. People I've been working with for many, many years in Ottawa and in other places were excited to come behind a campaign that said enough was enough. Enough was enough. It was time for us to be pursuing two things, big ideas and big organizing. Let me talk about what those mean in a second. So you get a second where Troublemaker Radio comes from. You get a sense of where it comes from. Big ideas that we were proud to run on in our campaign concerned things like abolishing tuition fees, moving towards a post-secondary system for skilled trades, college, and university where it didn't matter what your T4 slip said. If you wanted to put, to improve yourself, if you wanted to work hard to get a new skill, that ought not to be something you needed to pay for up front. There are 18 other countries all over the world that function with a post-secondary system without tuition fees. And once upon a time in this country, veterans came back from the Second World War and demanded a post-secondary system that wasn't only for the rich. So what we were proud to do two years ago was call for the abolition of tuition fees. It's something that grassroots NDP members have been calling for for a very long time. We were also proud to make it very, very abundantly clear that our campaign was very knowledgeable about the historic Role of Canada and Ontario as colonial entities that have taken advantage of the generosity of indigenous people. And here I'm giving you this podcast from unceded Algonquin territory. We were so proud on so many occasions to not only do what many progressive groups do, which is offer a land acknowledgement. So everybody at the event in which you're at is, is mindful of the fact that you're on the unceded land the Algonquin people. We explored in several organizing efforts that we engaged in, in several conversations with neighbors, we explored piece by piece what it would take to truly reckon with our colonial past and present and what we needed to do together to raise further awareness and to take immediate action. I was so proud to be running on an election campaign to restore potable drinking water to every single Indigenous community in the Ontario boundaries. That was amazing. It was an honor to do so. And it truly did resonate. I was proud to run on a campaign that was calling for dental care and prescription medications for everyone, free of charge. This was a campaign that truly did demand what many believed to be impossible, even five years ago. And we were proud to do so. we were also proud to say, quite frankly, that in order for us to move these big ideas forward, it wasn't going to be sufficient for us to just talk to the usual suspects that we see at rallies, conferences, various progressive events around town. No, we needed to embrace a much different approach to our political work. And the shorthand for that approach is big organizing. Big organizing is not about talking to the converted. It's not about staying comfortable within the various concentric circles we build up over our lifetimes. Big organizing is about getting out in the community, in an election context, knocking on doors everywhere, to let people know about the movement that we're building for bold ideas, but then most importantly, to listen. We would hit a door and usually begin with what we call a rap, Something that went like, hi, my name's Joel. I'm running to be the member of Provincial Parliament for Ottawa Centre because I believe everyone should be able to get the prescription medications they need free of charge to be healthy. What do you think about that? And at that point, the person on the other end of that conversation would either want to talk about that more, or they'd take the organi- take the conversation in a different direction, or they just not want to talk at all. It was it was a mix of things. But what we found was, in the campaign, if we set a goal of talking to as many people as possible about big, bold, transformative ideas, and listened to what they had to say, and made people feel like our campaign would also be a home for them, it was electrifying. And what i 'm so proud to say is that over the course of the two thousand eighteen election campaign, almost twelve hundred volunteers enlisted to help us. vast majority of those folks were here in Ottawa. but you know what? we had friends helping us right across the country too, and we were honored to have their support, jumping on the phones to call people at home, checking in with various folks all over the city. we hit Ottawa Centre has 100,000, roughly 100,000 voters. We hit over 80,000 doors in a campaign that took 10 long months. We knocked on doors in the winter, in the rain. We put in the work. But we were also proud to be part of that big ideas, big organizing tradition, which quite frankly isn't a new tradition. If you look at the NDP's history, we have always tried to be the party that had what some folks call the prophetic vision of a better world. And the belief that To get there, we need only talk to our neighbors and mobilize a mass movement that can impose its will upon the ruling elites that too often decide how things get done in this province, in this country, and around the world. I'm recording this first episode amidst the coronavirus, COVID 19 pandemic, which has paralyzed the planet. There is no known vaccine for this virus yet. But what I do know from what I have seen, is that there has been an outpouring of compassion. And I saw that outpouring of compassion too when we worked together in Ottawa Centre to reach all of those neighbours, to invite them to demand more from politics. So it's probably fitting that we start off with a podcast in the midst of a pandemic. We're doing politics in a plague. But you know what? If we've never had a better time to think hard about what we have to do to win the big transformative change we need, I couldn't think of a context. This is an exciting moment. It's also a terrifying moment. Terrifying in that we see some of our neighbors suffering in awful conditions. Two weeks ago, I had the sad occasion to uh, attend the online celebration of life for Christine Mandigarian, a personal support worker who worked at a long-term care facility in Scarborough, who had worked at that facility for 31 years, was diagnosed with COVID-19 on March 17th and passed away the next day. 19 of her coworkers are also diagnosed with COVID-19. And we know that in Ontario, there are over a thousand people who've lost their lives. The majority of those folks are seniors, people with disabilities, folks with autoimmune deficiencies. The people our society is supposed to care the most, supposed to be looking after the most and the workers who work directly with all those folks, the care workers. These are the folks that our society are supposed to back up in times like this. But what we have seen, in my opinion, very clearly, is the kind of capitalism we have grown accustomed to in this country and around the world, where it's about more and more growth lining the pockets of more and more billionaires, while the average person sits at home and sweats about how they're going to make ends meet, how they're going to look after their kids, their ailing parents, how they're going to deal with their mounting debt loads, how they're going to get ahead. This COVID-19 pandemic, as I've discussed with the wonderful team I have the privilege to work with here in Ottawa Centre, is a perfect time for us to put something out into the collective unconscious, into the public zeitgeist, to say, not only are we going to do what we believe to be the people's work here in Ottawa Centre, support local community movements who are working hard for change, we're going to talk about it. We're going to remember it. That's where we get to Troublemaker Radio. So in all of what I've told you, I'd like to think there's a predisposition to a certain approach to politics. And it's not, let me be very clear, about being a narcissist or a gadfly hopping from one protest moment to another. Being a troublemaker, in my mind, is not about that. Making good trouble is what I now absolutely believe after 21 months of being a politician. One has to do in order to make change. All too often, as the great Joe Strummer once said, we follow our little mouse trails in this world. We follow the well-worn path created by very powerful organizations and people about what we need to do to be good parents, to be good citizens, to be good neighbors. Consume, buy, own, aspire, to certain meritocratic, prestigious things. Being a troublemaker, in my opinion, because I've had the great fortune to meet a great many wonderful troublemakers who've taken time to share their knowledge with me, is about disrupting those mouse trails, those well-worn paths. It's about swimming against the current sometimes. And what I am so proud to tell you about this podcast is that we are going to talk directly to many of those community activists, community organizers, who make good trouble all the time. So all of those troublemakers have wonderful things to tell you, wonderful things to share with you. And this podcast will be the place where that happens. It's a place for you and me to interact. So if you've never heard of good troublemaking, get ready for a wonderful journey. If you are a troublemaker, This is a place for you to learn how to continue making good trouble where you are, and certainly here in Ottawa. I want to thank you for listening to this inaugural episode of Trouble Breaker Radio. My name is Joel Harden. I look forward to this journey with you. I look forward to finding out what we can accomplish, you and me, and all the people we will talk to on this show, together. Not by waiting for politics to happen to us, but by making it happen ourselves. Thanks. Hi, this is Jewel Harden, and you're listening to Troublemaker Radio. I'm about to talk to my friend Claudette Kamanda, an elder from the Kittagon Zibi Nation, not long from here in downtown Ottawa, a friend, a professor of law at the University of Ottawa, and a deeply profound person. We're going to be talking on Canada Day. What more appropriate day for us to be thinking about our treaty responsibilities, how we actually walk the path of reconciliation? And what Canada Day means in 2020 is so many of us are having the conversation today about anti-racism, about the need for us to evolve our thinking, to learn and to unlearn. So for the inaugural podcast of Troublemaker Radio, how more appropriate is it to be talking to Claudette and gain from her insight on the path forward? I think you're going to like this.
1: Right. I think we're here. I think we're ready. Um, I'm learning this art of podcasting, Claudette. So I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, to talk to you. It's, it's a real pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. So, h- how are you feeling today? I mean, I I, I have a bunch of different emotions uh, for this particular Canada Day during COVID nineteen. But what I'm I'm curious to know for our listeners, what's on your mind? Hmm.
2: What's on my mind? Well many things. Number one, I begin by all acknowledging no, no. And, and can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I can hear you. Absolutely.
2: Okay, so I, I begin my day uh, with a thought of acknowledgement and appreciation to the creator for giving me, uh, blessing me with another day to live and appreciating the beauty of Mother Earth and all our, our creations and listening to the birds sing and just so beautiful and wonderful and of course giving thanks that I have my family and I have my health and so that's the first thing that is on my mind and and thinking about my relatives who are no longer here with me they are now in the third world and then I'm thinking about uh, today uh, July 1st and you know people celebrating this day but I can't celebrate it, and I don't celebrate Canada Day for because of what it stands for. And right. until my, until my people are free from the bondages of colonialism and assimilation and domination of of many laws that continue to impact First Nations people, I, I cannot celebrate a country that prides itself in freedoms and in tolerance and and giving to many other people. So I, I cannot celebrate, and I never have celebrated Canada Day. I, but I do appreciate people and I respect people. Absolutely, I do. But I just can't. And then how can, how can even Canadians celebrate Canada Day when there's so much racism and, mm-hmm. and hatred in you that mm-hmm. in this country? You can't bury it just for one day and pretend it doesn't exist because the reality it does exist and you have, Canadians have to come to realize this, and they have to change their attitudes, but begin first and foremost by changing the behavior and the attitudes towards First Nations people. That's a given, because... Canada cannot pride itself in being a very peaceful, loving country if it doesn't even acknowledge and atone for the wrongs that they have done to First Nations people. And we all know that we're still dealing with the legacies of residential schools, child welfare, Indian day schools, murdered and missing Indigenous women, running pipelines through a sacred lands, and I mean, and the list goes on and on, and I'm sorry mm-hmm. if they sound so, but I'm speaking purely from my heart of truth, and I have to speak the heart of truth. I have to. Otherwise otherwise I'm just going to be an hypocrite to myself and I cannot do that I, I cer- certainly cannot do that at all I do pray for change I do have hope and I know there are good leaders such as yourself Joel that, wanted, that are working so hard to make a change to change people's minds to break down those barriers of, of government laws and policies and that, that mm-hmm. need to change absolutely so I thank you, good leaders. I really do, Joel, and I appreciate the leadership that you have. Your your foundation of leadership comes from a heart of gold and a soul of pure spirit that wants to to do the right thing. For first of all, for the First Peoples of this land, and building those bridges between the First Peoples of this land and and many who will call themselves Canadians and it, it's so important to, absolutely so important to, to do this for for the children absolutely for the children and and we we have to come together we, we certainly do and and I pray for the day that we do come together but first and foremost Canada and I always said this, Joel that Canada needs one big history lesson and they have to listen this history lesson.
1: Yes well, and and this is what this is one of the reasons why this is the inaugural episode of our podcast But, I mean, we have some foundational things that we're talking about here. and, and as you're saying, there's no more foundational importance in understanding our collective history. And as I was getting ready for this morning, I was you know looking over some of the things you talked about to me briefly, but frankly, we've never had um, long conversations about that. I look forward to those. but for our listeners, who aren't familiar with your grandfather's legacy? Uh, last night with my son, I was I was showing him a little bit of what your grandfather had talked about with the Seven Fires prophecy, and and the choice we need to make, as he put it, between spirituality or materialism in yeah. in this age in which we live, where. So many of us are drawn and and we aspire to status or ownership of certain things. We judge our importance by where we live and the letters after our name. I'm just wondering if if you wouldn't mind, for our listeners who aren't familiar with those teachings, just reflecting on that briefly, perhaps as part of that journey in in trying to understand what's important, what matters, particularly now during COVID-19, where so many of us have had you know, if we aren't compelled to work, if they aren't doing the work with all those amazing essential workers out there, there have been people in our communities who have the occasion to think, perhaps. And I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind elaborating a little bit on on, on what, how, how valuable you think that legacy is from your grandfather today.
2: Okay, well, thank you for uh, raising uh, uh, the teachings uh, that were shared by my grandfather, William Commanda. I do truly appreciate that, and and we are in a very critical time worldwide. That such great leaders or teachers or elders, uh, such as uh, William Commander are really needed, really needed. And I begin now by by sharing um, my thoughts on this uh, with the question you you asked. I begin by saying I, I welcome I welcome you and I welcome all listeners to this beautiful, unsurrendered homeland of the Algonquin people. I am sitting here in my homeland, and I know you are too as well, so I I welcome you. And and that land recognition is vital. That's number Mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. And why it's so vital is because it tells the truth that there were people here. We the people were here long before others came here. We are Mm -hmm. still, we're not a thing of the past. Mm -hmm. We are we are people. We are our life that exists today, and we will continue to exist. So we're not a relic of uh, history, and mm-hmm. we and we're not um, we're not confined to museums, which we shouldn't be. Any, right? of course. All right. So now l- let me speak about um, my, my grandfather. That that um, and I'm going to go back in time regarding my own experience when I first heard this prophecy. And this prophecy was told by an OP elder, Thomas Bianca. And at that time, my grandfather, back in the late 60s, he and a number of other First Nations, and at that time we were called North American Indians, they got together. There were a few of those a very strong... Uh, um, vanguards of our culture and our land, and they got together and they formed the original true intent circle of all nations.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: he brought, he brought together many tribes from across North America to his homeland in Kittagon Zibi And we had four days of just people gathering, all those tribes gathering. There was a ceremonial part, there was the, the uh, governance part, and there was, of course, the, the spiritual and the, the, the cultural celebration part, I was invited to um, attend the meeting of, of those prophet keepers. And our prophet keepers are also our ceremonial people, and they are also our leaders. Absolutely, they are. So I was invited in. I was very young at the time, and I truly appreciate my grandfather and my grandmother bringing me into that meeting. And at that particular meeting, there were many ceremonial prophet keepers that were sharing their prophecies from each of their own tribes and their nations. But Thomas Bayanka spoke about the Opie prophecy, which is very similar, or the, or the Seven Fire prophecy is very similar. Because regardless of what nation of prophecies, they may be said differently, but there's still the common meaning behind each of those prophecies. Prophecies are messages. Prophecies are, it's a guiding tool and we should pay attention to prophecies because they guide us. They tell us what could happen and we have that choice as people. We have that choice to, to take right or wrong. Mm-hmm. So Thomas Bianco shared that prophecy of the whole piece. And it, as I said, it ties in with, it's very similar to the seven fire, seven fire prophecy. It'll come a day. When we, as human beings, regardless of color, regardless of race, regardless, and certainly regardless of title,
1: mm. that
2: we have to choose, there would come a time that we, as people, human beings, that we, as people, would have to choose: is spirit more important, or is the physical world more important?
1: Mm. Would
2: come time, and we've seen in the last few decades how how much the our lifestyle has changed where everyone is becoming very dependent on, on materialism, on that physicalness, and moving further and further away from spirit. And f- moving away from spirit means not only you as a collective are moving away from spirit, but you as an individual, you're moving away from spirit, which in turn then becomes a collective, a collective that. The material world now becomes much more important. And in that material world, you see the physicalness and you see the, the economics and money becomes the God. And we've forgotten about the, the creator. Because you look at how, you look at the world and the way it's going and people are losing value, the value of life. Right. And then how we're seeing how uh, negativity and evilness is rising and that's so wrong because you're moving such away from... From spirit, and and when we're talking about spirit, we're not talking about something that's religious, such mm-hmm. as going, believing in a, in a in a religion and a denomination and and whatever dogma that's attached uh, to or religious ideologies that are attached to a man made man made institutions of religion. No, that's not we're, what we're talking about. Spirit means look outside, look mm. at nature. That's mm. the first spirit that the Creator gave us. He blessed all of us as human beings that that with spirit, to, and then that spirit was needed to become human being to live upon this Mother Earth, and and Mother Earth provided for all the water life, the plant life, the medicine life, the trees, the birds, the everything. That spirit, and that is what nourishes our spirit, and then how we we celebrate our life and and and. Prayer, our prayer, and, and our, that communication with the, with Creator, or what we call Geshem and Ador, that great spirit, our, our how we um, um, worship our, our Creator, that's all spirit, and we all had that at one time. The laws, the the traditions, the the ro- the roles, the responsibilities, the Creator, the Creator gifted us with everyone. He create, he gifted us with everything that we needed to live upon mother earth as human beings and i'm not talking just about first nations people he gifted all people because creator made everyone and therefore when we come to live upon mother earth we already had those gifts but something went wrong because there mm-hmm. were those that did not listened and now we here we are as moving forward and now we see how our physicalness materialist materialistic um Needs and wants have become the Almighty, and that's right. wrong. And look at where we are, and and it, you know what, Joel? Our prophecy also spoke about something is going to give, something mm-hmm. is going to that's going to stop, and it sure enough, and then I I now will talk about this COVID. COVID has, has made everyone stop, right? It's made everyone stop, mm-hmm. and I see in how people. Have taken that time now, because you know, taking that time to to appreciate, to appreciate life, to to seek out understanding. And for some people, it's the very first time that they've actually made a connection with spirit.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And what I'm saying, making connection with spirit, it's again looking outside and enjoying uh, nature. Mm-hmm. I mean, what? Ha- we do but but we have to do that and you know what i truly believe that with the creator's hand and all of this that something had to give joel because Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know leaders could speak elders could speak we've heard many people say okay stop you're destroying the land stop slow down but did people listen no did people Mm -hmm. stop what they were doing and i'm talking people in general like corporations right did they Mm -hmm. stop no So they continued destroying, like cutting the trees, the clear cutting, destroying the waters. Let's let's, you know pump oil from the uh, Mother Earth's uh, water line, like the oceans. Let's put pipelines through sacred territories. No, because it was all about greed, 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 and money, 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 money. And so something had to give. Mother Earth said, "Okay, we're stopping. This COVID nineteen is bad. Yes, it is, and we we have to we have to acknowledge that." This disease is here and we have to be very cautious. Absolutely. But I'm a believer that something good comes out of something bad. COVID mm. will be dealt with. We as people have to have to respect and we have to abide by regulations to protect ourselves and protect one another. However, however, the good that's going to come out of this disaster that we are all facing globally is that it, it, it is making us to slow down and appreciate what's the most important. The most important is our lives, and mm-hmm. our lives that's the spirit, and take the time to enjoy nature, going for walks. We've seen so many people taking walks. Mm-hmm. We've seen so many people resting. Mother Earth is, is resting and she's healing. That's number one. And how many of us, because we're, yes, let, let, me, let me say it this way. We've been so caught up with our everyday Ectic lifestyle because of work, 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 work demands. And yes, we need to work because we have to provide for our families for sure. Mm -hmm. But it's forced us to stop. And it's been so nice. So nice to sit and have your cup of coffee or your cup of tea and just look at the trees. And I can tell you, Joel, from a personal experience, this is the first spring in a long time that I was able to watch the trees bud and flourish into those beautiful green leaves and Mm take a look outside and notice that the greenery or the green color is much more vibrant this spring and summer than it has been. So spirit. And and now I go to to, uh, reflect on what my grandfather's teaching. And as you know, he, he truly believed it that we have to all come together as people, as human beings, mm-hmm. we're related to human family and it is going it will be spirit that will bring us together. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean to say that we give up who we are.
1: That mm-hmm. doesn't mean
2: that that we have to change and become only one. That mm-hmm. doesn't that's not what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. At least from what I understand and at what I understand through my ceremonies and other other um ceremonial people such as the late Elmer Korshain Mm-hmm. It's not about giving up who we are, our identity and culture and our spirituality. It it's when when our prophecies and our prayers talk about coming together as one, it's coming together in, in peace and love and kindness, to respect one another and to build to live that great law that the Creator gave us, and that is to live in balance and harmony with earth and all of our creations and with one another as human beings. And to share with one another, to share with one another. But to maintain who we are in in our race, in our in our beliefs, and continue that. When we certainly can walk end in end. Certainly we can and, and to make that great circle because we are we are all together in this one great circle and that is called life.
1: Hmm. Hmm. yeah Claudette, I this is so powerful a conversation. I and I'm wondering I mean, you mentioned off the top that Canada Day is not a day you celebrate for reasons I completely appreciate. And I know many listeners to this uh, podcast will appreciate. And you also mentioned that we have had the benefit of reflection in uh, recent days. Last weekend, I had the great fortune to talk to um, a good friend here locally, Dahabul Ahmed Omar, who's one of the founders of the Justice for Abdul Rahman Coalition that remembered uh, the small Canadian man who lost his life in police custody almost four years ago. And one of the things the hobble mentioned as she was talking to myself and my colleague, Member of Provincial Parliament, Laura May who's the MPP for Kitchener Center and the chair of our Black Caucus for the Ontario NDP, she said, you know, to a great extent, this pandemic has shone the light on other pandemics. Uh, you know, and she believes, as our local public health officials have said, racism systemic racism is a public health problem because it's impacting different people differently. And uh, she mentioned that one of the people who had reached out to them, the Justice for Abdurrahman Coalition, was the family um, of Greg Ritchie, uh, you know, who lost his life also uh, in in police custody here in in the city of Ottawa in 2019. Uh, Both families have reached out to each other. They're supporting each other. And I'm wondering, you know, Given so many of our listeners are paying attention, I think also for the first time if I can be candid of a lot of our white listeners perhaps, to to the role in which racism and, and prejudice plays, do you think that, that this moment is a teaching too, that, that people will, you know, for those of us who have the fortune, to think, because I know many people out there are working so hard and making great sacrifices to keep people safe, and I'm thankful for all of those. But do you think this, you know, as you said, this, this crisis presents an opportunity for us to, to start paying attention to things that we may have missed, particularly people with, with privilege who may even not wittingly have missed, you know, some of the ways in which the status quo is absolutely not working for so many of our neighbors?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, we need to, um, well, first of all, let me say that I'm. it, it uh, touches my heart to know that the two families are, are reached out to one another and are supporting one another. And, and it, it just so and I'm going to become emotional at at this moment. And Mm -hmm. it's just so unfortunate that, um, you know, families have to lose loved ones through, um, through those that carry, through those that carry uh, powers of authority. And it should, should never be that way. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: when, Look at the you know police killings of uh, of, um, of innocent people. I mean, it's it's gone on far too long, and it, it has to stop. I mean, you you think about uh, I, I always think about Neil Stonechild,
0: mm. and
2: you know the story of Neil Neil the, the Starlight Tours when the Saskatchewan or Saskatoon police you know would pick up those uh, First Nation men in, in the dead of cold winter and remove their shoes and their warm clothing and make them walk back and sadly these men froze to death i mean the police may not have taken a gun or may not have put their knee on someone that person's neck however those men froze to death and those police had intention to kill Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and lives were innocent lives were lost so absolutely joe it's a time now that that um you know, people need to reflect on truth and they have to accept it and, and they right. have to make a change. Yes, we, we need um, we need those. um Well, police are there to protect number one and, and they need to uh, they cannot be carrying their badges with authority for the purpose of harming people. That's number one. And what I would what I would add to this is that all police departments need to have, need to take mandatory, mandatory cultural awareness anti-racism workshop, and, mm-hmm. and anti-colonialism workshop when it comes to uh, First mm-hmm. Nations. And they have to have, a, they have to put their, um, legitimately, they need to to sit there and they need to listen. They need to understand and they need to hear every word that's being said and they need to make change because otherwise, Joel, nothing is going to change. Nothing is going to change, but it's not just the officers. It's those that are in authority, like chiefs of police or whoever is as the authority of over policing. They need to be able to, and they need, they need to be willing partners. Number one, but, our people need to be at that table it is our people that and the the families of, of the victims that need to be at that table to to develop and to deliver whatever necessary programs are needed to make change of anti-racism anti-colonial and so on it it has to be i i do not appreciate when when non-indigenous people or non-first nations people are going to are going to speak on behalf of the um, issues that our people are facing. No, no, no. It must be First Nations. It must be whomever else helps else. because we know we know what racism feels like. We live it. We mm-hmm. are the lived experiences of racism and realities. And absolutely right when people say there's a, there's a bigger pandemic and it's been here for a long time, right? And that's racism. And mm-hmm. and the sick needs to stop. So. And I'm sorry about going all about all around the issue. You're um taking long to answer this question, but it's it's so deeply emotional for me. Absolutely it is and but yes, this I is think, the time.
1: I think your reflections are absolutely spot on, Claudia <laughs> and I, as, as I'm hearing you, I'm reflecting, again, I have much more to learn, but I'm, I'm wondering if these workshops, and, you know, for those, for those folks from the Ottawa Police or any other police force or the police force who are listening to this, I, I take this conversation to mean an opportunity um, to, to, to learn this because, Glennon, uh, as I've tried to understand what your grandfather has said, what you have been saying, I, in so many events, I've had the fortune to listen to you and to learn. Uh, this is an opportunity for those folks in those positions of authority to understand spirit, and and yes. to stop dehumanizing others, even if they don't do it purposefully. You know the notion that someone who they see as uh, I, oh my goodness I I will never I will never forget one reflection uh, from from someone who had remarked on Greg Ritchie's death uh, and, and basically just saying you know Greg was living with trauma and uh, he needed someone in that moment to understand that trauma he didn't need someone to put him in a box and to to talk about you know to treat him as if he wasn't human and um i i find particularly this is a difficult policing is a difficult job i, I can absolutely appreciate that but at the same time um you know, whether one is in that profession or whether one is a teacher, uh, whether one is a, a politician, a spiritual leader, I um, you know, someone in business, perhaps what I'm taking from our conversation this morning, colleague, is the journey towards realizing our spiritual connection will help restore uh, our understanding of humanity and others. Is that fair?
2: Oh, ab- absolutely, Joel. Great. 110 percent and as you were speaking I, I was um a thought uh, many thoughts came to my mind Um yes it's it, uh, it, it goes that, that will certainly help to break down those stereotypical beliefs that people have and I'm speaking again from a First Nations perspective that in those um, institutions, uh, whether it's policing, whether it's government, whether it's uh, education, and, and so on and so on, there's already a perceived, perceived um, stereotypical—not just images, but beliefs—that people <clears throat> hold against First Nations people, such yeah. as we're in, they're in, more inferior to us. Or the moment they see a First Nation person, like, okay, well, you know, what what have you contributed to society? Well, you know, your people are nothing but uh, welfare and outs Your people are nothing but alcoholics or substance abusers. Like, Or, or when our women go murdered and missing, well, you deserve it. And whenever the media writes about them or tells about them, they automatically say, well, she was a drug user. She was a prostitute. Well, you know mm-hmm. what? Stop it. Stop labeling. They were mm-hmm. human beings. They had hopes, desires, dreams, like everyone else. It was racism was was forced on them, and so was colonization. So, yeah, break down those stereotypical beliefs. Have to be peeled away, peeled away, peeled away, and they need to see us as people, as human beings. That's what they need to see us uh, see us about. You know, I, I reflect back of uh, last year on Canada Day, when the Algonquin people, we were at our um, rally, we united as a nation, and we put up our protest against 100 Wellington Street, uh, what the yeah. government was doing, and uh, it was so beautiful that all our our our, um, na- our nation was there, and there were Thousands of people, of course, that were there because of Canada Day, right? We were directly right across from Parliament Hill. And I, you know what was sad, Joel? It was sad that there was, there was, um, 90% of the people that were there had no idea who, none whatsoever, none. They had no idea. And then that was sad. I said, here are all these people that are coming to live here in Canada, but absolutely do not know who we are. They don't even know whose land this is and don't even know who we are as Algonquin people. So mm-hmm. that broke my 5% knew and came to support us. And the other 5% that absolutely did know that there were First Nations people in Canada, well, let me tell you what they were calling us. They were telling us, oh, you welfare bums, you alcoholics, yeah. you drunk. And we had to deal with that, and we had our children there. And, then you know, it it should never be that way, none whatsoever. But unfortunately, that's the reality. So, Joel, yes, let us use this time as for reflection. So to all your listeners out there, and especially, you know, white people, use this time for reflection. Mm -hmm. Learn your truth about Canada, because Canada is your country. But Canada is the land of the First Nations people. It will always be our land first and foremost because Canada was only created about 153 years ago. However, we have been here since time immemorial. We're not born any, we're not telling people to go back to where they come from. No, but we've extended our hand in peace and friendship. I will continue to extend my hand in peace and friendship and I'm here to help to build that community of collectivity in peace and friendship and that is what my grandfather's vision was all about and we will do it on the foundation of love we will do it on the foundation of of kindness because with kindness and with love we will make change and that is a given fact because creator and all our ancestors our ancestors are there they're there to help us. And I tell people, again, regardless of color or creed, or race you come from, you have your ancestors. Don't forget where you come from because that is so important. And we will make a better change because we have to believe in hope because hope is free. Hope is free.
1: <laughs> it's free and contagious in a good way. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I want to thank you so much for, for sharing some time with us today. It's been, re- as always, really profound and really important. And uh, I, I will share our, our podcast link uh, with, with you. And I welcome all of our Indigenous friends in, in these lands here Algonquin territories and beyond, and Shinabic territories and beyond, to, to tune in. And if you have comments on anything that well, I've talked about this morning, let us know. Uh, because these, these lessons need to go in all kinds of directions. Um, Claudette, thank you again so much.
2: Well, thank you, Joel, you and your family. You have a great day. Uh, To all your listeners, be well, be safe, and God bless you all. And to you, Joel, take good care. Keep up the good work. And as my grandfather William always said in prayer, just always just remember the leaders and pray for the leaders, too. So you are in my prayers, Joel. Take good care. Oh,
1: thank you, my friend. Be well.
2: Be well. Take care. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: I just got back from a celebration of life for Abel Mengestab. Abul was twenty years old and he passed away ten days ago. And the NDP community and the larger progressive community has been grieving ever since. I wanted to do a specific pod about this because it's worth reflecting, I think, on what Abel's legacy means for left organizing, for progressive politics, and for fighting for the change we deserve. I want to paint a picture for those of you who weren't there so you can understand what today's community celebration of life was. So it is Sunday, June 28th, and at 1 p.m. today, lots of people, despite the uh, public health warnings, you know, we, we were safe, we had masks on, we had lots of head sanitizer, we kept our distance, but lots, lots of people came out to remember Abel. I was there, his parents powerfully were there, so many of his relatives were there. Many of my friends in the NDP were there. Huge, palpable presence of Ottawa's Eritrean Canadian community were there. So many youth. And what happened after a beautiful rendition of Sarah McLaughlin's Angel that one participant sang, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name. The mic was passed. And person after person reflected about what Mengistab meant for them. I can tell you what he meant for me briefly, and I'll get into some of the things that were said. I recall being in our campaign office at the end of Booth Street, for those of you who knew where that was, for those of you who played a role in our campaign. And in walked Abel, who I knew from Carleton University. He had been the co-chair of the NDP club. He was playing an instrumental role in managing a campaign at that same time in Nepean, for Zaf Ansari, who ran as MPP candidate there in Nepean. But Abel could smell what we were up to in Ottawa Centre. He knew that we had a real chance to take that riding back for the NDP, and more important than political party, to really send a message that people should demand more from politics, which is what we were saying. And what I remember Jill O'Reilly saying, our campaign manager, was that Abel was a real bounding force of energy. Anytime he walked into the campaign office, he would grab the canvas sheet, grab a quick donut or snack and right back out the door he would go and he would love going to doors in marginalized communities where people have historically not voted. He would go into the rooming houses. He would go into community housing buildings. He would go into places that people often wouldn't go. In fact, if I'm honest, professionals within our own party would counsel us not to go in because those people, quote unquote, don't vote. But what Abel showed us is that not only should we go out and listen to people in Ottawa Centre, we should do so with an enormous smile on our face. Anybody who's ever met Abel in their life can tell you the exact same experience I had. This man had beaming eyes, a glowing smile, and was always a presence in our campaign. But what I've learned today at the Celebration of Life that community members showed up to and what I learned in other events recently, the funeral service held by the Eritrean community and Abel's family, where I had the privilege to speak, is this, this guy... Represented something. He represented something very deep and very powerful. And for me, as I heard person after person get up today, youth, Eritrean Canadian youth get up there and say, Abel would let me play with his phone. He would talk to me. He would look me in the eyes. He would take time with me, even when he was rushed. Or when Abel's friends talked about how he had goaded them into community theater at their foot dragging best, that he had pushed them with a smile to stretch themselves a little. When I'm thinking about What his mom and dad said must have been so challenging to say that, to lose your only child, 20-year-old, phenom bolt of energy, and to have that taken away from you. What his parents said, his dad in particular, Menges, he looked at the crowd and said, all of you have been spending time talking about what Abel meant and how wonderful he was and how he was one in a million and how he was destined for great things. But, he said, I want to acknowledge that we're all here. There were lots of people there. We're all here because there's a little piece of obol in all of us. There's a little part of us that wants to do more. That wants to not be satisfied with scoring cheap shots. Or slapping ourselves on the back. That wants to do the hard work of getting out and talking to people we've never met before. I have to tell you. At the end of this community ceremony, dozens of white balloons were released into the air. And I will have that image of looking up into the sky and seeing those balloons float away for a very long time. Because in as much as those balloons were floating into the sky, I felt as if a pain was leaving that crowd. We're never going to get over the trauma of losing a friend, a brother, a comrade like Abel. But... There was a pain that lifted with those balloons as they lifted into the air because I think after what Mengus said, there was a recognition that while we are so sad with Abel's passing, we are committed resolutely to continue his legacy of kindness, compassion, hard work, fierce dedication to fighting for what is right. As I sit here and I speak about what happened today in Vincent Massey Park, what happened days before with the funeral celebration, what happened when I was given the honor to rise in the Legislative Assembly in Ontario and talk briefly about Abel's legacy, I think what happened in each one of those events, for me personally, is that I was remembering how it's important, first of all, to be kind, to work hard, and to be kind. And then absolutely to get out there and make trouble, to make good trouble, to raise the questions that have to be raised, but to not skate over those first two things. I just want to end this reflection by talking about that. I'm troubled, given the rise of supremacist ideologies all over the world. I don't care where they come from, which dehumanize the other. I'm worried sometimes, as someone who has a temper, a politician with a righteous temper, I get it honestly, if you ask people in my family, my grandmother on my mom's side, God bless her. I'm worried, my friends, that too often we're going to resort to the art of the cheap shot, the art of snark, the art of suggesting that we have all the answers and someone else is completely wrong. I think you can be a revolutionary in this world and be modest and humble, as Abel was. I think you can be a revolutionary in this world and seek as your departure point to want to listen and learn from people. I think you can be a force for real transformative change without being a jerk. And I have to tell you, I've seen far too much backslapping and point scoring and snark in the two years I've been a member of provincial parliament. And I want to say, if I've been reminded of anything in the last week, it's that we can do so much better. So much better. Thank you, Abel, for everything you taught me. Thank you for the time you put into campaigns here. Thank you for all the love you showed. Thank you for all the patience you exercised at the age of 20. So, I'm going to make sure that with this pod, we link to a scholarship that is going to be created in Abel's name. And believe me, I'm going to be making a case in our party that we contribute to this scholarship because we need to go out there and find the pieces of Abel in everybody, as his dad said. We have to empower them. We have to share our resources with them. And then we have to get on with the job of changing the world, one conversation at a time. Spend all your time waiting I want to thank you for tuning in to this inaugural episode and suffering through some of the technical issues I may have had as I've been navigating this machinery. I'll get better at it. But most importantly, folks, I hope your mind is spinning. I hope your head is thinking creatively about all kinds of ways in which this podcast can be used. So we are listening directly to the community leaders who are making good trouble raising the right questions. So we can get what our communities deserve in the city of Ottawa, around the province of Ontario, around the country, indeed, around the world. So next episode, episode two, we're going to be talking about back to school under COVID-19. You may have heard that the Ottawa Carleton District School Board has said that they are proposing two days a week at a maximum of 15 children per classroom, and parents have been calling our office livid about the lack of imagination behind this proposal. We're going to be discussing it here on Troublemaker Radio. I hope to have in front of you a roster of intelligent, smart, pathetic troublemakers who are staff in our school system, who are advocates for public education, perhaps even students who can talk about this from their perspective. So if you have thoughts about public education under COVID-19, I want you to head to our digital platforms at joelharden.ca and send those suggestions to us. I also, Heck, you can pick up the phone, do the old-fashioned thing, and call us at 613-722-6414. We're listening. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, remember, work hard, be kind, and make good trouble.